Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, so welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And tonight we make it to verse number 7 of chapter 5, and our title is Mercy Begets Mercy. Now, uh, if you've been around for a while, you'll know that every once in a while I will tag a lesson as being important. And I don't always do that, and, and, and of course they're all important. But I think there's something about this one tonight that's got a little extra uh, importance. And part of that is the subject itself, but it's also the fact that it, the timing of it. I was talking to Pastor Henry about this. You know, he's in the middle of a, of a, a series on mercy, right? In fact, this past Sunday, if you were here, he talked about uh, what we can do as, as to get God's attention, to, to, uh, to, to get mercy from God. For example, the Bible says, come boldly. Uh, before the throne of grace to obtain uh, uh, mercy and grace in time of need. So uh, we, if we want grace or mercy, we can ask for it. That's one way. So it turns out that, and you guys know that I, he and I don't coordinate anything. Uh, it just so happened that right in the middle of his thing on mercy, we're right at the beatitude on mercy. So I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that there's something about this is important for us as individuals, uh, but also important for us as a, um, as a church. All right, so let's start here. I want you tonight, I want to start by talking about death, uh, specifically your death. Uh, you know, death is something that we don't talk about a lot. Uh, we know it's coming. Everybody's going to die. Uh, it, but, but I think even when you get old, it's still out there somewhere, right? I, you can be 85 and it's still... It's still way out there. I mean, you know it's coming, but we just don't talk about it. But what I want you to do tonight, if for just a minute or two, try to imagine that you're not going to make it to tomorrow. This is it. You will not make it past tonight. You are about to uh, die. And what, what you're face to face with the fact that on the other side of your death is going to be judgment. The Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die and after that comes judgment. And so, and the fact is, when we get to that point, there is no second chances. There is no do-overs. Uh, when it comes time to be judged, there, it's not like, hey, just give me, give me another year. It just don't work that way. The Bible tells us about the, the great judgment, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. I won't read the whole thing. It says this, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He'll sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And the goats will go away, this is unbelievers, into eternal punishment, but the righteous, the sheep, the believers will go into eternal life. Now here's my question. I want you to imagine that you're, you're at the judgment, right? It's, whatever you've done has been done. Here's my question. Do you want mercy? Do you want mercy on that day? I know I do. 
You see, God sees everything you've ever done. All the secrets you got that nobody else knows about, He knows about every single one of them. Every single one of them. And I want mercy. I don't know about you. So here's the good news, right? Matthew 5, 7 tells us how to get it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm, we, we've already, we, the second part of the verse we've talked about, right? I want to receive mercy on judgment day. How do I ensure that? What can I do today to make sure that I receive mercy then? Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 7, you can be merciful. So what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to ask four questions and answer four questions. The first question I'm going to ask is how does a heart like yours and mine become merciful? How do we get a merciful heart? Uh, the second question is, what is mercy? The third question is, should a merciful person always show mercy? And I'll go ahead and tell you the answer to that is no. A merciful per person shouldn't always show mercy. I'll, I'll explain that when we get there. And then why is it that only merciful people will be shown mercy on judgment day? Okay. Now, I hope you can see that not only are those very practical questions... I mean, they're, they're very practical questions, but they're also incredibly important questions. Because like I said, I want to receive mercy from God. And so those are going to tell me how to do it. So here's the first one. How does a heart like yours and mine become merciful? Or here's a, another way to put it. Where does mercy come from in our lives? Can we be honest uh, most of us, you've heard me say this before. Have you ever noticed how easily we forgive ourselves and how difficult it is to forgive others? We've talked about that before, right? It's, it, you, you forgive yourself so easy, but when somebody does something to you, it's like you, you just can't forgive. It, it, we, we easily see how other people fail us, but we forget about all the times we failed people and, and all the times that we failed God. We, we recognize somebody, how idiotic somebody else is asking or acting, but we forget that there's been times we've acted just that stupid and just that idiotic and just that, uh, just that insensitive, right? That's our natural state, by the way. That's just, we don't have to do anything to be like that. We, we naturally emphasize our goodness and we downplay our, our badness. We, we forget our sins. We forget our failures. And by the way, when you're a person like that, you're going to, you judge people much more harshly. It's, it's, it's not, you're not going to have mercy. Uh, that person like that's not going to be merciful. The, so the question is, how do we take a person like this and turn them into a merciful person? Okay, that's what we want to look at tonight. Now, every week when I come in here talking about the Beatitudes, I've been talking about how one Beatitude follows the next. That Jesus didn't just stand up and say, hey, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. He's not just, everything has an order, a very specific order of the Beatitudes. And in that order lies the answer to our question, how do we become merciful? Now, the first three Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who uh, mourn, and uh, what's the other one? Oh, blessed are the meek. Those all kind of describe an emptying of, of self, right? For example, if you're poor in spirit, you, you've come to the realization, you've looked inside yourself and you think, man, I'm a spiritual beggar. I, I got nothing. 
I got no righteousness to bring to the table. Uh, all my righteousness is just as filthy rags. Uh, you grieve over your sin. We've talked about that. We're, we're meek in the sense that we understand that even when, when we can't even fight our own battles without making things worse. So those first three Beatitudes are really an emptying of, of self-righteousness and self-assurance and, and self-confidence and all that self stuff. And then last week we saw how the next thing in line is once we've become conscious of our need, we get a hunger and a thirst to be filled with righteousness. And by the way, we said last week that is a practical righteousness, right? It's, it's wanting to be like Him in our actions and our thoughts and, and everything like this. Now, here's the thing. If I'm a spiritual beggar, if I've really realized that there's nothing good in me, if I've really grieved over my sin, if I've really come to the point where I understand that I, I, I can't even fight my own battles without making things worse, doesn't it follow that if I really experience those things that I'm going to look at other people differently? Shouldn't that inevitably follow that if I really experience those things, my attitude toward others should be changed? So where does mercy come from? Well, um, this, the old hymn says it this way. I was blind, but now I see. See what? The first thing I see is I see my situation as it really is. I'm a spiritual beggar. There's nothing good in me. I owe everything in my life to divine mercy. Titus 3.5 says this, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Let me read that and make it personal. He saved me, not because of my righteous works, not because of anything I did. He saved me because of mercy. Just sheer divine mercy. So the power to be merciful, the power to show mercy, comes from becoming a broken person from knowing in your heart that everything you have and everything you ever will have and everything you're going to be is all owing to mercy. So that's one way you become a merciful person. 1 Timothy 1.15, how many of y'all would say that, that Paul uh, was probably the greatest of ministers, right? What made him so great? Look at 1 Timothy 1.15. He says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. See, one of the things that made Paul such an incredible minister is because he had a, a true sense of who he really was. He says, I'm the worst sinner. I, everything I have is from grace and mercy of God. And then he could walk out and see other people differently. Same thing is true for Isaiah. Who, who's a better mouthpiece for God than the prophet Isaiah? What made him such a great prophet is because he saw himself for who he was. Isaiah 6, 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. So th there's something about seeing yourself as you really are before God that turns around and makes you a merciful uh, person. You see, the fact is, if we don't recognize our own de depravity, we're never going to be a, good, um, uh, uh, a, a gentle or a merciful or effective in our ministry to others. We've got to see ourselves for who we really are. But we also have to see others as they really are. Um, see, when I look at other people now, I should look at them and say, well, now, wait a minute. I don't just see them as a mean person that somehow they just want to, to get me for some reason. I see them as being under the power of Satan. I, I see them as men and women to be pitied. I see them, that's the way I used to be. 
Everybody with me? And then you can have mercy on them because you see, you're looking through new eyes is what you're doing. You're not looking through the old eyes. That You're looking through Christian eyes and with a Christian heart. This is what Jesus, in, in Luke 23, 34, Jesus, the Bible tells us that, no, I forget where it is exactly, but it said he didn't need anybody to tell him about man because he knew what was in the heart of man. So Jesus knew the heart of man, and yet here he is on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. See, when he looked at those people that were crucifying him, he could do it with a heart of mercy because he understood they don't even know what they're doing. They're under the power of Satan. They're under the power of darkness. They're blind. They're deaf. And he had mercy on them. But it's not just, uh, it's not just Jesus. How about Stephen? In Acts chapter 7, when they're, when they're stoning Stephen, um, throwing the rocks at him, and, he, and the last thing he says, he falls to his knees, and the very last thing he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And then he died. I mean, because he could look at those people that are throwing rocks at him, and he could have mercy on them. Why? Because he saw them through Christian eyes. He saw them through eyes that had been changed. He saw them as they really were, that they didn't know what they were doing. So that's you and I. As Christians, we should see people not the way we used to see them. We see them differently, with Christian eyes and a Christian heart. Number se- the second question is, what is mercy? Okay, So that's how we become merciful, by seeing ourselves and others as we really are. What is mercy? What is a merciful person like? Um, if you ever want to find out what a word means in Scripture, uh, there's, a three, there's a few ways to do it. One way to do it is just go do an exhaustive uh, uh, look up that word in Scripture and read every Scripture that uses that word. That's, that's a really easy way uh, to do it. Uh, so, for example, if you go look up mercy uh, in Scripture, you'll find things like this. Psalm 51.1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Or Luke 18, 13, the tax collector stood at a distance and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, uh, a sinner. So one thing mercy means is forgiveness. In both of those cases, they're asking, blot out my transgressions, have mercy on me, a sinner. So one of the things that mercy is is, is, is forgiveness of sin or forgiveness of, of wrongdoing. Uh, Matthew 20, 30, two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard Jesus was going by, they said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. What did they want? They wanted their eyes to be open. The Canaanite woman uh, called out to Jesus, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. What did she want? She wanted her daughter to be made well. So what we find out is mercy is forgiveness of sin or wrongdoing, but mercy is also acts of Compassion, okay? So a a good definition of mercy would be extending forgiveness or healing or compassion or help to someone in distress. Now, another way to get the meaning of a word as it's used in Scripture is look at illustrations of it. And there's not a better illustration of mercy than the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, y'all all all know, I'm sure you know that parable, this lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He, he didn't really want to know. He, the Bible says he was testing Jesus. But that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? By the way, another way to ask that is what must I do to obtain mercy on Judgment Day? 
And Jesus tells a story. He said a man goes down from Jericho to Jerusalem, and uh, that, that road was notorious for robbers and, and thieves, and they felt these men, uh, these robbers fell upon him, and they about beat him to death, and they left him there in the road to die. And then Jesus said a priest came by, and uh, the priest went by on the other side of the road and just ignored him. And he said a Levite came by, and uh, by the way, the priest would be like a pastor. A Levite would be like a worship leader. They were the people that led worship and worked in the temple. So, so basically what he's saying, a pastor comes by and looks at him and just goes on. And then a, a, a worship leader comes by and looks at him and just goes on. And then Jesus said this, but a Samaritan. Now, I'm sure you guys know this, that Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Uh, they looked at Samaritans as half-breeds. They, 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 they saw them as like a cult. They didn't want anything to do with them. A Samaritan comes, and as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, there are four dimensions of mercy in that story. The first thing is he sees someone in distress, right? The next thing he does is he has compassion. But here's the thing about mercy. Mercy never stops there. You know, anybody can see somebody that's in need and you can feel sorry for them. You can have compassion. You can feel empathy. But if you stop there, it's not mercy. Mercy always responds practically. In other words, you do something to alleviate their need. And that man did this and he did it even to his enemies. So an eye for distress, a heart of pity, an effort to help, even in spite of, 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 of that person not liking you, that's what mercy is. Now, let me go a little bit further. So you can, you can look up a word in Scripture, and that's one way to find it. You can look at illustrations of that word. Sometimes it helps in Scripture to get something clear if you look at the opposite of something. I want to read you a couple of scriptures, and this is going to be, I hope, will be really interesting. Matthew chapter 9, it says, As Jesus reclined at table in the house, and this is probably Matthew, the tax collector's house. If you go read this, this is, um, he's just called Matthew to follow him. He's probably at Matthew's house, uh, at reclining at the table, and, and the, the other tax collectors and, and prostitutes, and they all felt comfortable at Matthew's house. And this is probably where he was. So he reclined at the table. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, in this passage, Jesus is looking at these tax collectors and prostitutes and these sinners, and he sees them as sick people. And they need a physician. They need a cure. And, of course, Jesus is the great physician, and he has the, the cure. But all the Pharisees can see is a religious problem. Okay? They, they, they see those people. I mean, these, these people, their eternal destiny was at stake. And all the Pharisees can see is that they'll be contaminated if they go into that house with them. So their, their life is just this mechanical uh, implementation of rules. That's all it is. It's all, about, it's all about ceremony. So when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, 
but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. By the way, he's quoting Hosea 6.6. Hosea 6.6 says this, What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. For I desire steadfast mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So in this passage, the opposite of mercy is actually sacrifice, which is an odd thing. The uh, the opposite of showing mercy is sacrifice. Let me give you another one. So again, these Pharisees are in this room and something huge is at stake, right? The eternal destiny of people is at stake and they can't see it. They can't feel it. Why? Because they're enslaved to ceremony. They are enslaved to ceremony. Let me give you another one. Matthew 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing uh, a camel. So in this passage, the opposite of showing mercy is straining out a gnat. Now, what does, what does Jesus mean by that? They're more concerned whether they should tithe on their gross income or their net income or their birthday gifts or their bonuses. They're more concerned about that than showing mercy. Are you with me? I mean, that's, that's the kind of things they're just wrapped up in. They're wrapped up in trivialities. They're wrapped up in, in ceremony. They're just making sure they, they check off all the rules and they're not, they're not uh, concerned about the weightier matters like faithfulness and justice and, and, and mercy. So the opposite of, if you look at these stories, the opposite of mercy is bondage to ceremony. And why is that important? Because God doesn't, listen to me folks, God does not want a people who do their religious duties just so they can check them off the list. He's not interested in that at all. He, he just, that's not what he's looking for. That's what the Pharisees were. They, they, they had all the, they had everything checked off. He doesn't want that. I want you to listen to these, some great truths about Christianity. Um, we must be a Christian before we can act like a Christian. Let me say it again. We must be a Christian. Something has to change inside of us down deep. We have to be born again. We have to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. We, we have to be different inside before we can act like a, a Christian. God puts greater weight upon our attitude than He does upon our actions. You remember what we said last week that uh, the last beatitude, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I said last week, isn't that odd that He, do, he doesn't say blessed are those who obtain it? He says, blessed are those who want it. Blessed are those who want it more than anything. The fact is, we're all going to fail every single day, and he knows that. We're all going to, every single day, we're just, we're going to, we're going to mess up, and we're going to fail because we're, 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 we're not perfect. But he says, blessed are you if you want it. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst at it. He, he wants an attitude. He cares more about who we are than about what we do. He's wanting a certain kind of person. It's our character that matters. Uh, Dr. Lord Jones, in the book I was reading, said this, we're not meant to control our Christianity. Our Christianity is meant to control us. 
See, the, the, the difference is, is I, I hear people say once sometimes, well, Christianity is doing this and doing that and doing this and doing... And they want to make a little box and put their Christianity in it. But it's not meant to be that way. Our Christianity is meant to control us. If we want to be merciful people as Christians, we have to fight against a preoccupation with ceremony. I'm coming to church, I'm paying my tithe, I'm teaching Sunday school, I'm doing all that, and we completely forget about mercy. And God wants a merciful uh, people. And you say, well, what, you know, what do you mean by ceremony? Listen, we can preach, we can teach, we can pray, we can fast, we can tithe. And by the way, those are all great things. You should do all those things. Those are good things. But if you do all that and you're not a person that shows mercy, something's wrong. Something is, is just wrong with you. you. You've become a Pharisee. You're, 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 you're focusing on the ceremony uh, of church and you're not focusing on the kind of person that God wants you to be. Number three, should a merciful person always show mercy? I'm going to give you four examples. One from family, one from law, one from business, and one from the church. So I'll give you four examples. Can a Christian parent be merciful and yet still be a person who disciplines their children for disobedience? Can you be merciful and still discipline your children? How about this? Can a Christian employer be merciful and still fire irresponsible employees who do shoddy work? Can a Christian judge be merciful and yet sentence criminals for breaking the law? And can a Christian elder be merciful and still excommunicate a member for unforsaken public sin? Should a merciful person always show mercy? The answer is no, you shouldn't. Now, why is that? It is God's will that sometimes we give people what they deserve. That's justice, by the way. And then it's God's will that sometimes we give people better than they deserve. That's mercy. Sometimes God wants you to give people justice. And sometimes God wants you to give people mercy. Well, you say, well, do you have a scripture to back that up? Yes, I do. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to do justice and love mercy. Both. Everybody see that? Why would, he, why would God want us to be both? Why would he want us sometimes to be people that, that, that give people what they deserve and, and justice and sometimes mercy? Because when we uphold justice, we're bearing witness to the fact that God is a God of justice. And when we, when we show mercy, we're bearing witness to the fact that God is a God of mercy. God is both, is he not? He's a God of justice and he's a God of mercy. Therefore, if, as, as his followers, as his children, we should sometimes show justice and we should show, sometimes show mercy. As a, I, I hope as a parent that you're doing this, that there are times that you need to mete out justice to your children because you're teaching them that consequ um, uh, actions have consequences. That's justice. At the same time, that, please understand this. From time to time, you need to show mercy to your children. Show them some mercy because you're showing them then that you're a merciful person and, and that the Heavenly Father is a merciful person. So you can do both. Now, most people at this point are going to ask this question. Well, how do you know? <laughs> right? 
Well, how do you know when I should show justice and how do I know when I should show uh, mercy? This may surprise you, but there are no rules in Scripture that tell you when you are to, uh, to, to do one and, and, or the other. In fact, I don't, by the way, I don't think that's an accident at all. And here's why. Because the aim of Scripture is to produce a certain kind of person, not provide a, a list that everybody can go down and check it off. Are you with me? Scripture wants to produce a certain kind of person. Not just, if, if he would have just gave us all these rules and say, in this situation do this, in this situation do this, we would just be a bunch of Pharisees. That's what the Pharisees did. They just kept making up more and more rules. So, again, I, I don't think it's an accident that Scripture doesn't give us all these dictates. I think it's more, it, wants to, it wants to focus on the fact that you're a merciful person. Okay. By the way, anybody that tries to live out their Christianity in this world and do it, I mean, really tries to live it out, it's not easy. It's complex. You're going to run into situations where you do not know uh, what you should do. So, should a merciful person always show mercy? Uh, the answer, I, I said earlier, the answer is no, but I said it's a qualified no. And here's what I mean by that. If you're a merciful person, then your justice will be different. Let me give you a, an example. You may be an employer, and you may fire an employee for doing shoddy work. That's justice. You're giving them what they deserve. At the same time, you may turn around and give them more money in severance than they got coming to them. By the way, I've seen that in this church. When we've had to uh, let people go for, for various reasons as a church board, sometimes we've let them go. And then we'll turn around and give them more money than they got coming to them. Because that's mercy. So even the, a mercy, heart, if you've got a heart of mercy, it will always show through, even when you're meeting out justice. Fourth and final question. Why do only merciful people find mercy from God? After all, salvation is by grace alone, is it not? We don't earn our salvation, but some people have misinterpreted this scripture. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Some people have misinterpreted it as if you can earn mercy from God. That if you just show mercy enough in this life, then when you get to the judgment, that God will give you, uh, God will give you mercy, right? Um, so then, so that, there's, there's all kind of problems with that. Number one, if, if that's the way you want to read that, that you're going to earn mercy from God, uh, ain't nobody going to get saved because none of us are merciful enough. Right? We all fall short of the glory of God. Uh, uh, so, first of all, if that's the way you're going to look at it, you got a real problem because ain't nobody getting in. The second thing, if that's true, it completely cancels grace. We just read it, Titus 3, 5, a while ago, right? Uh, I'm, he saved me, not through works of my own righteousness, but according to mercy. So, if, if this is saying you've got to earn your salvation, then we can throw the scriptures like that out. And again, it also doesn't take into account the progression of the Beatitudes. Remember, I've said from the Beatitudes are not how you get into the kingdom. They're what people look like after they're in the kingdom, right? They're the character of, of Christians. So showing mercy is not how we are saved. Showing mercy is a fruit of being saved. It's proof that you are a, uh, a Christian, uh, Matthew 25, 34 to 40, I, I read this a little bit ago. 
I, uh, when we, it was actually the same scripture where uh, it talks about Jesus separating the ge- uh, sheep from the goats. It says this, And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you, are, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. You see, there's something about being a merciful person. See, their mercy was the fruit of their salvation. It was proof that they had been changed by the mercy of God. You see, those who have been shown mercy will show mercy to others. So I close with this, Matthew 5, 7. Happy are the merciful, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for uh, the Beatitudes, and, and uh, I, I know I'm just learning so much through them, and, and I hope others are as well. But God, I pray tonight that uh, I know uh, in my own life that I need to be more merciful. I need to be more merciful. Um, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to help me and help us as a church to be merciful people. God, to, to, we'll see ourselves for who we really are. We'll see others as they really are, and we'll walk out in, in mercy. God, I just believe if we do that as a church, if we do that as a people, if we do that as a family, again, it's going to be one of those things that's going to draw people to this body and, and draw people to uh, you. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for all you do for us, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m., in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.